Hello and welcome to the Chaos to Clarity podcast, where we hear from incredibly successful and inspirational technology executives and thought leaders about escaping the chaos of building a tech startup and the hard-won lessons of getting to scale. I'm Eric Weiss, a 20-year software industry veteran, an executive coach, and the CEO of the Chaos to Clarity Accelerator. In this show, you will hear about the journey that founders must take to build a successful technology company, but I'll also share my own experience and methods as a leader, a founder, and an executive coach. Let's jump right into it. All right, I am here with Alfonso de la Nuez, co-founder of UserZoom, board member of User Testing, and author of The Digital Experience Company. How are you today? Doing well. Thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Great to have you on the show today. UX and, and, and user experience design is something I'm very passionate about. So we're going to get into some real deep rabbit holes here. Um, but first, you know, I'd love to learn a little bit about you and your journey and ultimately what, um, you know, what, what pushed you to found UserZoom. Yes, absolutely. Well, so my name is Alfonso Dilanues, uh, and I'm uh, honored to be here with you. Uh, it's been an, a very interesting journey so far. Um, it starts, I want to say, back in the uh, 90s uh, when my uh, family decided that I should spend a, day, a year in the U.S. I'm originally from Madrid, Spain, so I was a foreign exchange student for a year. The reason I accepted, actually, <laughs> because I was really scared uh, back then when I was about 16 years old, is that I wanted to play basketball. So I played basketball all my life, and I ended up getting a scholarship at San Jose State uh, University, which is uh, here in Silicon Valley. And that led me to, you know, kind of spend quite a, quite a bit of time in the 90s uh, here in the U.S. And then I went back to Spain. And a few years later, I was always in technology, working for companies like Dell Computer and others, and uh, always in the e-commerce and website design uh, and development uh, space. And so kind of, you know, reducing or, or uh, summarizing all these years into, into just a minute here, I started a company, I co-founded a, a company before UserZoom, uh, called Experience Consulting with a couple of guys that I was uh, working with. Um, and we all felt that um, we needed to make uh, the internet and the websites a little more easier and user-friendly. And so um, we started this consulting company that was dedicated 100% to usability testing or user testing, usability testing. And we, um, we started in 2001 um, and the idea was, hey, we're not going to redesign it. We're not going to develop it or, or code anything here. Uh, we are just going to be the advocate of the user and help you hopefully, you know, gather enough evidence and feedback for you to optimize the user experience. Back then, it wasn't called user experience. It was called usability. Long story short, um, after a few years in that, uh, in that space, we realized that the service was very, very valuable for our customers, but it wasn't scalable, right? It was very labor intensive, very slow. We're talking the years what, 2001 to 2007 before UserZoom actually got uh, started. And, um, and so we, we, we basically decided, hey, maybe we can uh, prioritize or, as I like to say, cloudify the, the process of, of, of running usability testing and do it remotely and make it more efficient, make it more scalable. And uh, that was the beginning of, of UserZoom, um, which I can talk about, uh, I guess, a little later. But that's basically, you know, my, my story of how I started 
I, I lived in the U.S. for a few years. You know, coming from Spain, I never thought that I would be here. You know, kind of going through that dot com bust uh, in the in the late '90s and early 2000s, hoping to create a much easier and more user friendly internet, um, <laughs> and founding a company in the in the space. Well, still, you know, the internet still needs a lot of work, <laughs> even after yes. all these years. What are what do you think are some of the common patterns that you still see today uh, in terms of usability? Well, one of the main patterns is that people still don't um, don't focus on the end user as much as as they should. And you can see a world of difference between those years in the early two thousands and today, <clears throat> for sure. But you still see a lot of people are hesitant. Maybe they think that it's slowing them down. Maybe they think that they know what the user wants. Um, but essentially, we see some some barriers that are, I think, in my opinion, more related to culture and to leadership style than uh, anything else. It is absolutely, uh, you know, um, uh, clear the value of uh, testing and doing user research. Uh, th th there's this amazing wealth of information that you get, and you can innovate. But, you know, you can you can uh, be more efficient, effective. Um, by knowing your users uh, better. Uh, however, uh, we still see that uh, some people just hesitate because they feel like maybe they don't have the budget or the time. So what we see also is, and obviously the, the, the success story of UserZoom is uh, living proof, UserZoom and now user testing, both companies doing really, really well. And as we'll talk later, you know, we, we, we join forces, but both companies are proof of, of how important it is. And how many, many companies now are investing millions of dollars yearly on improving or uh, optimizing user experience because it ultimately um, um, results in, in better financial um, KPIs and, and business metrics uh, for, for any company. You know? So I guess the trend is there's still quite a, quite, quite a few seen barriers um, or issues or, or you know, putting some some limitations out there. Uh, but we're also seeing a ton of companies uh, that are basically making it a standard of how you develop uh, digital products today. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is, you know, an area that I've worked in for many years um, as an executive coach and, and a product consultant. And my, you know, my belief is user experience is the most important competitive advantage in this day and age, because it is so easy to build software now. There's exactly. so many amazing tools. There's so many available, um, you know, um, developers out there. Um, developing software has become commoditized, and so the way that you compete and the way that you uh, that you really create raving fans is by having a better user experience than anybody else. And so to do that you need obviously a much better understanding of your customers and how they behave and how they perceive the world. So I, I run a, a small startup accelerator um, working with kind of early growth stage startups. And this is sort of what I'm constantly preaching that the way to get to product market fit and the way to get to scale is by investing heavily in UX research and design long before you start coding anything. And I always get that same pushback that, we have to move fast. We don't have time to talk to so many customers. I've talked to two or three people and I, I, I know what I need to do and I'm just going to go build it, right? But, the, but what you're doing there is you're, you're gambling. You're throwing a Hail Mary pass that you think you know what you need to build and now you're going to go invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in design and development 
And you better be, you better get lucky. You better hope that you get it right because even small mistakes in design and usability uh, will will create an enormous amount of friction in adoption and and in, in ultimately retention. So what I preach is, you know, for every dollar spent on UX research and design, you're saving ten dollars or maybe even more on development costs down the road. Because as many of us know, that you might have one designer per. 10 developers, right? <laughs> or one product manager per 10 developers. Uh, and it's really, you know, I think we're just, founders are so focused on on building something and getting it out the door because they think that's what the real goalpost is and they ignore user experience. And ultimately, my belief is, again, this is my opinion, but obviously I'm, I have the experience to back it up. Um, this whole 90% of startups fail uh, metric that, you know, is ingrained in all of our minds a large percentage of that is we didn't do the research, we didn't understand our customers, and we didn't understand how they actually need to use a thing in order to solve their their problem. So um, I'm, completely I'm, agree. <laughs> I'm right there with you for sure. Completely agree. You know, they may they may fail because uh, there was no real problem to solve, um, and that's what I read is 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 most common uh, reason for failure. Uh, but that's also very related to not having done the research, right? So if you had done the research ahead, uh, market research and user research, two different things, you probably would have understood that, hey, maybe there is not such a big problem out there. And I always talk about, you know, one of the, one of the <clears throat> um, I guess, lessons learned that I, I share and that hopefully I can share with you today and, and be of value to the, the audience is falling in love with the problem. And what does that mean? Like really understand... Uh, intimately what the problem is and who those users are. And if there is a real problem, then you can go ahead and <laughs> try to solve it And because you're going to have to ask people to pay you a ton of money uh, for it or a ton of people paying you a uh, little money, but it's going to have to be a big a big uh, chunk of people to, to pay you. So if there's no problem, then um, don't bother. Uh, back to your point about uh, um, how easy it is to, to, to build software. Um, I 100% agree with that. So what's happened in the last decade, and I uh, wrote about this in the book, you know, why is UX so important now versus in the past? And I think that there are, you know, a few things that to me triggered the real need to make UX a competitive advantage or to just simply get design right. You know, uh, design, when I, when I speak about design, I speak about design, uh, functional design, interaction design, and visual design, right? So design is not just the, what it, how it looks or UI design, but uh, many other things. And I think that um, SaaS, uh, software as a service, uh, has, has really triggered this, right? So, and, and also to your point, how easy it is to build software to, or to just simply launch uh, a company uh, without really needing to, to invest so much in, in developing and, and all that stuff. Uh, but, but if I focus on SaaS, uh, to me, this is one of my favorites is, you know, it used to be that, that you'd, you'd, you'd basically, uh, especially like even in B2B, you, you buy a, a software application and you install it everywhere, right? You go, you used to go with CD-ROMs and you would install it in the machines, you know, uh, of everybody's PC or, or Mac or whatever. And, um, you know, good luck getting rid of that, right? So all those licenses were in there and, but, but SaaS, SaaS gives the end user the uh, power and the ability to stop uh, doing business with you, um, you know, uh, anytime, right? Because usually you have either monthly subscriptions or annual subscriptions. And so I feel like um, there was this huge shift, um, you know, in terms of 
uh, how you relate to your customers, how you interact with your customers. Also, customer success is another huge market that has come up in the last few years that has a lot to do with that, you know, how you relate to customers, right? Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with UX. If they have a great first-time experience, which you only have one chance of creating a great first-time experience, right? Only one shot. Um, you better have a great experience. And also, as you move along and you're uh, considering to con to continue that relationship with the custom with the with the vendor with the software application in this case, you have to have usage and adoption. Otherwise, why would you renew, right? So, a lot of that uh, boils down to how easy and um, how great of experience you're having. You know, um, if you're the only vendor in the world and you're uh, really hard to use, I guess you can get by because you're the only one. Chances are you're going to have a ton of competitors. And so it's as easy as just canceling one, no one tab and starting with the other one, right? So I think, I think that's, a, that's a, a huge thing for founders to keep in mind as you launch your business. Most likely it's going to be you know, a, a subscription, a license of some sort. And uh, that's why UX and design uh, play such a huge role. It's because you're going to want to um, have a phenomenal first experience and you want to continue and obviously retention um, uh, renewal and retention rates are everything to SaaS businesses. Focus on that. Focus on how UX can help you uh, get those uh, metrics right. Yeah, that's a great point, right? With so many available options, switching costs, uh, you know, are somewhat negligible, um, and it makes it really easy to to jump ship if you're not just even if you're just frustrated with the experience. So um, obviously, this is critical. In fact, an another thing I've noticed too working with some of the most innovative SaaS companies out there, what I've noticed is even an evolution of the role of the designer. So back in the day, we just had somebody called a designer and they did all of those things you mentioned, right? They did visual design and they did user experience design and maybe nobody did research or maybe it was just marketing that did some general market research, but nobody was really focused on, on the user experience. Then this, you know, this discipline came out and now everyone was a UX slash UI designer. Yep. So now they claim <laughs> to do both and they probably leaned on one side or the other. And then it split. And finally, we had dedicated UX professionals. But even within UX, you have research and design, right? And even then, there, so now we actually have UX researchers and UX designers and visual designers. So we're starting to see that, again, the most innovative companies out there are really seeing the value and, and understanding the specialization um, of these roles. And so I'm seeing more and more and more investment um, along this spectrum. And, and the old way of doing things, again, I, I kind of joked about before, you got one designer and you've got two big engineering teams that are like, feed me, you know, feed me designs, feed me specifications. I have to build and I'm, I'm running enormous, you know, burn rates on these engineering teams. Um, that's just a, a completely antiquated and unsustainable and uncompetitive uh, model of doing business at this stage. Yeah, I just think I've seen all of them, right? The ones that you, you, you know, different scenarios, uh, both uh, customers as well as, to be honest with you, ourselves, <clears throat> you know, in the in our own companies, right? Because user Zoom and user testing, they all have um, uh, their own design teams, their own research teams, and their own development teams. The fact is. Uh, Let's be honest. The fact is, it's very hard to build great digital experiences. I I, I came to that conclusion uh, a long time ago, because if you a lot of a lot of UX professionals out there, you know, 
uh, they're just complaining and whining about uh, the, the lack of support or whatever. Listen, why, why do that? The, let's all admit and acknowledge that it is really difficult, right? If you do that and you start empathizing um, with others, uh, other team members, uh, you'll recognize that, hey, it's not like they don't like UX. Uh, it's not like they don't like each other or they don't appreciate design. Sometimes it's a matter of education. Sometimes it's a matter of training and letting them really understand. I think that's what a lot of the UX professionals, especially successful ones, they have moved on from just being a contributor to being a leader and also enabling and helping uh, other leaders, whether it's CTOs, uh, CPOs, product product team, product uh, leaders, or even the CEOs, uh, understand and value uh, the, the the importance of, of great design. So I think that you know, let's start by acknowledging that it is a very difficult thing to do because UX is not just like I say, the Michael Jordan of UX or CX. It's a team sport. And it actually starts from the top. I really, really believe that it starts from the CEO and the board saying, hey, we know that uh, we want to produce great digital experiences. We know that that's not just something I can just hire somebody to take care of. It is a collaborative effort, right? If that's the case, then, and this is honestly, Eric, this is where, I'm most passionate about where I focus the book on and where I think there's a lot more opportunity out there is for that connection between the board, the uh, business leaders and the um, design, uh, engineering and product leaders to really come together and understand how important uh, it is and what is it going to take to to develop these great experiences. And I think there, there's there's still a journey uh, you know, there, there's still there's still a long way to go, um, and hopefully we'll get there. You know, hopefully I I can see companies. I can see. I can tell you. I can see because I can see how much they pay us. You know, I see a lot of companies out there that uh, do appreciate this. Uh, unfortunately, it's many cases the usual suspects. Right? We're talking about the Googles, the Microsofts, the Amazons, but I can also see banks. You know, any company that is in a highly fragmented market, um, finance, uh, insurance, uh, healthcare, uh, you can you can already see some great um, fintech startups, um, technology companies that uh, have been born digital and they have gone um, all in when it comes to design and, and UX and they're stealing the incumbent's lunch. Um, and I think these guys are also re reacting to this, you know, Companies like Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase, or, or Chase, uh, sorry, or, or Bank of America, uh, U.S. Bank. I mean, there's a lot of bank banks that are realizing uh, this and are doing something about it. So I'm optimistic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, again, I mean, it's it's when you see the most innovative companies in the world leading this charge, um, and again, you know, even the the most successful startups that I'm seeing that you probably haven't even heard of yet, um, I see today that. And that's why I'm, I'm I, like I say, I preach this, right? I'm an evangelist of this concept because I see it so clearly and maybe to the point where I might be the crazy person shouting on the, on the sidewalk because I feel like, am I the only one talking about this? But those companies that are investing heavily in research, heavily in usability and user experience are creating more empathy, better context, better understanding of their customers. And they're able to create these delightful user experiences that just click and just fit 
into their world, into their workflow. Um, and they're the ones that are getting the best retention and the best referrals and the best upsells and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so again, I go to companies or, or founders that maybe, you know, grew up under the old way of doing things where founder has a great idea, hire some teams, tell them what to do, build out an engineering team, go build it. Six months later, why isn't anybody using it? Why is everyone canceling their subscriptions, et cetera? Um, it's, it's the UX stupid. Not to, <laughs> not, not to berate, but. And, and yeah. the thing is that there's no real excuse anymore because back in the day when you had to spend a good month in a lab to collect feedback from 10 users um, and really, yeah, obviously slow down the process, um, you know, you could see that it, it was not fit for the today's agile environment, right? However, if you, and, and I, I don't mean to, put my, my sales hat on here, but I am the co-founder of UserZoom and a board member of User Testing. These two companies have been in business for 15 years now. And honestly, we've, we've spent a lot of time um, trying to make user research scalable, right? And, and, and affordable, by the way. So if you look at, for instance, um, many of our customers, in fact, I was looking at this last week, the usage and adoption uh, data uh, tells a really interesting story. Um, we have pricing models and we use the cloud in such a way that actually the more tests, the more studies, now they're not only tests, sometimes they're done to test or validate design. Sometimes it's about understanding the customer before, to your point earlier. And sometimes it's all about measuring, you know, once you're live. But the fact is that the more studies they've done, the more projects they've run to, to conduct research, the lower the cost of the research study. It's something called the democratization of, of research, just like software. The democratization of software we went through, uh, you know, a decade ago, right? So uh, what we're seeing is that it's not really that cost, uh, that costly. It's not about budget. Um, you can come in and spend, you know, honestly, like the starting point somewhere in the vicinity of $25,000 a year, which is what you used to pay for one study, okay, for 10 people in the lab, you can run hundreds of studies uh, throughout the throughout the year, right? Uh, now, uh, obviously, it gets a lot more expensive as you start, um, you know, providing uh, or increasing the number of users, and uh, you know, finding participants, uh, the audience uh, uh, service that we provide as well. Obviously, can get up, uh, you know, a lot higher than that. But to get started, especially if you're a startup, if I was the founder, I would. I will immediately put it in the budget uh, together with the rest of the basics. In fact, earlier than marketing and earlier than sales, because if you if you have a great product experience, that's going to be your number one uh, sales and, and marketing campaign. In my opinion, uh, the product can do that for you. Um, so again, no excuse in terms of time. You can get uh, feedback within hours. And also, uh, from a budget perspective, it's not going to destroy your 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 uh, finance finances at all. Hey everyone, Eric here. So every startup founder on earth is searching for the elusive product market fit. It's the thing that unlocks growth and scale, and the thing that separates the successes from the failures. But if I asked you what it meant, could you define it? Could you point at it and measure it? Could you break product market fit down into its essential components and have a systematic way to improve them, to unlock 
product market fit and get to scale? Probably not. So that's why I created a new tool called the Product Market Fit Scorecard, the ultimate guide to unlocking scale. Uh, it's a free and simple assessment that you can use with your team to break down product market fit into its 10 key factors, identify where your weak points are, and give you clear and concise recommendations to improve. So just go to pmfscorecard.com and download it now. No, yeah. So, so I, I, I have this model called, I call it discovery-led growth. Um, mm -hmm. But essentially what I'm saying is you, can, you have to create product market fit before you go to market. So exactly as you were saying, through research, we're actually able to validate that we have product market fit before we spend the, the infinite, <laughs> potentially infinite amount of money on sales and marketing. And most companies get that in reverse. They say, we're going to build a thing, we're going to go to market, and then see if we have product market fit. No. Put that aside, create product market fit first through the research, then you'll be able to market and, and go to market efficiently. Um, and then the other thing is in terms of 25K, so if, if, if a founder raises a seed round of 2.5 million, let's say, that's 1% of that budget going to insure, almost like an insurance policy, yeah. that you're actually going to take that money and put it to work the right way because you're building the right thing. Um, so to me, yeah, that's... that's um, that's that's peanuts. Well, and here's the other thing that investors, which uh, once again is my favorite subject because I've been fortunate to raise quite a bit of money and I've gotten to know investors really well, right? Investors don't like surprises. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, right? Once they invest, they like to see, you know, uh, growth and they like to see, but if there's a surprise, then that's when they get um, um, very nervous. And... Um, one of the things that you can do to avoid those surprises is to test beforehand, right? To to validate uh, ideas and validate, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to invest a million dollars to your point. You know, maybe it's a million, maybe it's a half a million, maybe whatever. We're going to invest in this. And it's like, well, uh, how do you know that this is what the users want, number one? And uh, once you've built it, how do you know that it's actually working before you take two more million and invest it in marketing, Right to attract to for for lead gen and for traffic attraction. Right. Well, don't you want to make sure that it works before you send it out? Right. So two things. One is that users, the, the new marketing is all about the experience. Right. And so if you if your users have a great experience, they're going to be the ones talking about you and recommending you to others. No question. Again, especially if you're in B two B and you and you're trying to go after hundreds of users internally. You know, um, let's talk about Monday.com or Asana or you know Figma or any of these uh, products, right? I mean, there's there's obviously hundreds or thousands of them. Um, users are going to recommend you to other users. Best marketing campaign ever and cheapest, by the way. And then the second one is, let's say that you do want to uh, actually invest in marketing. That's fine, but maybe do a a a trial first, maybe, maybe, um, you know, uh, invest some, um, see if it actually works, not just whether traffic is, is actually uh, increasing, which you will see in the analytics, right? In your analytics, uh, but actually run the UX study to see, um, let's just say a hundred people that have come in. All right, let's, let's talk to those guys and see about what kind of experience they're having. If they're having a positive experience and it's converting, don't just guess why they're converting or if they're not converting, why? Figure it out, right, through the user research, through a more qualitative research study. And then once you do that, you can correct things that are probably going, you know, the wrong way 
Or if you feel like they're going the right way, then you're convinced and you can go back to the board and say, yeah, let's pour the money, let's pour the, um, the millions into uh, you know, multiplying this times 10, times 100 or whatever. But there's no excuse of not doing it and just guessing. It's such a high risk situation that as a founder, you really don't want to put yourself in that situation. Absolutely. Yeah. In my accelerator, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly, you know, teaching this and, and, and coaching my, my clients to, uh, to take this approach. And the, the questions that I typically get are, you know, it's, it's hard to find, it's hard to recruit. It's hard mm-hmm. to find people to talk to. It's hard to, or, or what questions do I ask, right? How do I yep. actually craft a great uh, study or great interview? And then how do I actually make sense of all of this data? How do I actually take yep. the insights out of it? Um, so I know obviously this is what you do. Um, so let's, let's, let's try to see if we can cover those bases. Let's, let's cover them because that's exactly what we hear as well, uh, Eric. So I'm, I completely uh, understand. Uh, let's start with um, finding participants, right? So finding participants is most definitely one of the top uh, challenges. And at the same time, I have to say, once again, I don't mean to make this podcast, uh, uh, you know, a sales pitch for you. But the fact is, uh, we have we have invested a ton, both companies, user zoom and now user testing. I mean, again, we're now merged as user testing, right? So uh, user testing has a phenomenal panel. Uh, It's been built in we've been building it for years and curating it also and making sure that the participants are the ones they say who they are and um, you know they're good at giving feedback um, now user zoom had a little bit of a different strategy uh, uh, sourcing participants which was to partner with uh, multiple other vendors out there in fact we could have used user testings panel as well but obviously we were competitors so we didn't but the point is that we uh, now as a combined company we have the user testing's proprietary, um, you know, killer uh, panel. Uh, I think it's getting close to two million people now, um, you know, uh, out there ready to be contacted. Um, but then we also have this network of others, especially for B two B. Sometimes you just need to find, you know, I don't know, people in healthcare or people in finance, and they, um, you know, they're not in the user testing panel. So, um, you know, give it a try because um, unless you're find, you're trying to find you know left-handed surgeons living in Hawaii, um, you know that, that's going to be very difficult. But um, we also have our own services to try to go out there and find them. Um, and also, there's ways to recruit. Uh, last but not least, um, uh, there are ways to recruit through your own. Um, so if you're a startup and you have you know a specific group of people that you target, you could also ask by. Uh, inviting them when you when they go to your website, you know, um, or even uploading a customer uh, database and and trying to invite those. So there are, there are many many ways basically to um, overcome that challenge of of finding participants. And I would encourage everyone to give it a try. The second one was also very important. How do you design a study? One of the one of the main yeah challenges once again that I see out there is that people don't know how to do research, and so. Uh, we've also recognized this um, at user testing, and we've created a ton of templates. Um, you know, what is it that you're more object oriented? So, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Are you trying to just validate a design on your prototype? Are you already online and you have a full live website, and um, you're just trying to understand uh, who is uh, or what is it that they care about the most? I don't know. I'm just making up stories. There, there can be multiple. Object, objectives or goals for the research. And it's very important that you do the right research for the right goal. 
And so we, we created a, a, a ton of templates. Uh, another company out there um, doing doing research uh, that has put research on the map, um, you know, Qualtrics, more in the in the survey uh, quantitative research. Uh, they do the same thing. A lot of templates to help you get started, right? And then um, last but not least, um, user research does not, or, or a company running user research does not necessarily need to be a do-it-yourself uh, uh, endeavor or, or um, task. You can also work with us. We have people that are experts, um, you know, consultants and experts that can help, you know, even if it's a startup and they have a small budget, you can still get uh, access to the support and to, I always encourage people to hire to license our technology and do it yourself a little bit, but carve out some budget to work with our experts. Because what they'll do is they'll teach you and enable you through a period of time, and then you kind of get going on your own. Uh, last but not least, we've, we've also invested quite a bit in something called the academy or university. Uh, I'm not sure how we call it, a, U, a UT. I think we call it UT university. But basically, there's a ton of um, uh, interesting uh, courses or videos that you can access, uh, you know, to get to get started and to, you know, you, you do not need. Now, if you want to do advanced research, obviously there is you need to study. Uh, there's a craft. I, I have always defended, you know, the career of the researcher who's gone to school and understands how to do research properly. Um, but not all research has to be very advanced, and some of these, you know, more basic practices can be taught or can be learned um you know through these resources that i was telling you the last one is um analysis so um it's, it's very similar to design um you want to make sure that you analyze the data correctly and you become and you go from data to insights um that are actionable um and and sometimes you have you know let's say a ton of videos out there um or a ton of data on you know, survey results or stuff. User testing now includes um, both qualitative and quantitative uh, research methods. So you can actually end up with a ton of data. You know, I would say that in some cases, if you can see a pattern of issues when you're looking at just 10 users going through how they use your, your product and you can see a pattern, I mean, again, once again, you don't, know, you don't have to have a PhD or a master's to... to you know, analyze that data and get some some insights out of it. But again, as you as you go deeper and deeper, you may want to either consult with one of our consultants or a UX researcher. It doesn't have to be ours, of course. Um, or just simply learn um, learn the craft. Again, I don't have a, a very easy. It's not automatic, uh, but just like any other good thing, you know, it, it takes some work <laughs> to to gain to gain uh, value out of it. Yeah, I actually strongly push to hire uh, either hire a UX researcher or certainly a product manager that's going to be um, that's going to do the work to to acquire these skills. And the main reason for that that I see is when I work with a founder and try to get them to go through these motions, they will bias the study and yes. they will cherry pick the data. Yes. And, you know, best intentions, right? Best laid plans, but they want to see their thing and their idea work too well. They're too attached to it and there's a conflict of interest. So we have to create that somewhat neutral third party who can be a champion for, for the data, but be a champion for the customer, even if it goes against uh, the beliefs and wishes of the founder, especially, actually. <laughs> 100% agreed. Um, 
the, the other challenge you have with research is that it can be biased or it can be uh, you know done in a way that that you're ultimately getting you know the data you want versus what you need or what you should be getting. Um, well, a couple of things I would say about that is that I would encourage. Uh, I mean, if we're looking at founders and startups of, of three to ten people. Um, obviously that's, that's a little harder, but I would try to have, I would outsource it. I would just have somebody say, listen, just tell me what I need to know, what, what I, because I may not see it, um, you know, with my biased, uh, perspective or point of view. If you're a little bigger, one of the things I've learned is that, um, UX research should probably not report to, uh, product or even, um, uh, design. You know, uh, I've seen uh, the other day I was having a wonderful, interesting conversation with Netflix, which is one of those companies that is pretty mature and betting on UX and design. And they want the, the, the research to be completely uh, outside or um, unbiased and independent from any of the people that are actually working on the product, right, on the product design and development. And it's just an independent party that does research and pushes out uh, the data as they see it. Um, so another, another, I guess, piece of advice is, yeah, uh, try to be as independent, uh, as possible. Wonderful. Wow. Let, let's talk about your book for a little bit. Um, tell me the, tell me the premise and kind of the core, you know, the core pillars. This is the book right here, digital experience company. Um, so the main thing about this, this, uh, book is that I, I really want, I really wanted to, to talk or to write about, the impact of great design and great UX in business. There are so many books out there. There's so much literature on how to do research and, you know, um, research in general. This is not really a book on research. This is a book on if you're a founder, if you're a C-level executive of a big corporation, if you're a CPO, if you're getting into or if you're going through the digital transformation process that so many companies are going through or have been going through already, and then the pandemic really accelerated the whole thing, right? <clears throat> I just want to, um, you know, uh, make sure that people understand that if you don't uh, invest in design, um, you know, it's kind of what we discussed earlier, you know, you're, you're not going to win. You're just simply not going to win. I mean, the, the, the title is The Digital Experience Company, Winning in the Digital Economy with Experience Insights. <clears throat> so so first first big point is, you know, you, you got to be user-centric. You got to be customer-centric. And in order to do that, you have to uh, do research. But then I also speak quite a bit about the difference between analytics and market research and UX research. I try to differentiate that because I still get uh, all the time, all the time. We still hear um, that I can basically get by with analytics data or with surveys. And listen, I'm not saying anything bad about those, but I'm just saying that that's just like I, I always talk about the triangle, analytics, surveys and qualitative. You need to work with all three. Um, to really get a full picture. So I also, in the book, talk about experience insights and, and, and product in this case, right? Product and user experience insights as, a, as an important uh, part of the puzzle. And then I also focus quite a bit on the return on investment. So if you, I mean, like, uh, think about it. Like, <laughs> if you, I have my own board. Um, I'm a board member at User Testing. The, the board members, 
you know what they care about, right? They care about the the financial, uh, the performance, the sales, and all that. And it's very hard to come up with uh, strong evidence of how this great UX design has actually um, uh, helped with business, with the business KPIs and, and performance that board members really care about. Because really, I just want, I just really wanted the board people to say, hey, hey, I read this book. Are we actually doing something about this? And if I can get that, that that'll be success, right? So what I what I did is I brought up, um, I did some research, obviously, to do the book. And of course, I had my own research. So most of the book is the result of my own 20 plus years experience, um, you know, with companies that have actually said, hey, you know, uh, here's what I did before. Here's what I do now. Here's the research we've done. Here's how much we've invested in design and all that. Um, and uh, here's our, our performance, you know. Um, and also, um, I did a lot of research on McKinsey and hardware business um, review publications like this, Forbes. Um, of course, uh, the analysts that I've worked with over the years, like Gartner and Forrester, <clears throat> those guys are talking business. They're not talking, you know, buttons here and there, right, uh, or colors. Um, they're talking business. And what they say is that, for instance, the, the highlight for me was McKinsey in 2018, you know, talking about the business value of design and how, you, you know that report, right? <laughs> that study, let me tell you, that when that study came out, I was like, thank God, somebody, yes. we've been trying to prove this to companies for so long. I still have that those charts all over my yes. slide decks because it it is one of the very few really thorough studies that has proven the ROI yes. on UX. So yeah, I was about to say there that McKinsey study and, and the Gartner study as well are are the very few things. And so it's great that you actually um, are expanding on that and even telling a narrative around that because you know while we have some nice data and and, and some charts. Um, there's nothing like a, a good story to uh, that's to that's absolutely on. that's absolutely. And by the way, that was in eighteen. Mm-hmm. The pandemic was 2020, so we. I was already into. And by the way, I started writing the book before the pandemic, and then obviously running the business at the same time. You know, it took me almost two years to finish the book, but I it, it I wrote during the pandemic. <laughs> to be honest with you, as bad as the pandemic was for humanity, it was great for business because it really, <laughs> really helped. Um, make it more clear than ever that now everyone is a digital experience company. That's what I say in the book is every company is a digital experience company. I had already that in my mind before the pandemic, Eric, but then once you have no other choice, as McKinsey highlights, right, the increase of the interactions between users or customers and brands going digital, just basically, right, uh, skyrocketed, right? And so now you have the situations, like I write in the book, where I was actually interacting with this brand quite a bit. It's a clothing brand, um, you know, and and I was going to the store because my experience at the store was really nice, you know. So I always bought something every year. And I said, you know what, I want to continue, but now I can't go. These stores are, are closed or, you know, you have to go online. I'm just going to give them a chance. And boy, it was a terrible experience. And so I have a bunch of those uh, examples highlighted on, in the book because the pandemic just accelerated the whole process. Um, so that's what the book is about. Yeah, no, that's a really good point too, right? A lot of, especially any any uh, retail or any company with a physical presence, they obviously invest an enormous amount of, of money and effort into 
creating their customer experience within the store. And then they go and outsource their website development, <laughs> some company, whatever. It's a completely different thing. Yeah, I, I, I get you. Completely. Think about even like, you know, these retailers, they even care about how it smells at the store, right? I mean, they care about so many details. Of course, Apple has a phenomenal retail experience. And then they go on, online, they have to have the same, right? But but they're a technology company and they really believe in the experience. And, you know, the iPhone, I think, put UX on the map more than any other product out there, right? I mean, that's another example in the book is how they put uh, Nokia and BlackBerry out of business. But um, but then, yeah, you have, um, you know, companies that invest in, in their online and their offline experience. And then when you go online, you can't find stuff. Uh, it's it loads the 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 loading times are are you know too long and um and then you know you want to you want to find out more details about a certain product and you just can't find it so why would you but here is actually the real meat of 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 i guess the the the, the you know the, the, what i was making the comments yesterday uh, um earlier about uh how hard it is it takes different skill Eric, you, you, you can't have the same people that that were managing the experience in an offline store um, or to that matter, for that matter, designers. They, they, they don't have the skill that it takes. You, you, you're going to need user experience. Sometimes these are psychologists, right? And sociologists. So these people, and, and you know, you have to do research to um, optimize that experience in an online setting with a, Flat screen, uh, a mouse, you know, uh, especially if we're talking this right here, right, uh, which is even worse. So it, it, it is very hard to do. So I think the best thing you can do is just acknowledge that um, it is very hard and obviously, obviously know that there is a lot of traffic now uh, coming through the online channels. And then at that point, when you when you have those two, you just go at it and invest. And that's what I think I'm seeing in a lot of companies in the last few years. Yeah. Incredible stuff. I'm, I'm actually, so the, the book just released, right? And the audiobook just came out? Yeah, the book was released uh, last year, last summer. And the audiobook was something that I wanted to work on and I record, I narrated myself. Uh, very difficult job to do, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a very easy voice to listen to. So I'll, I look Thank you. To Thank you. Yeah, but I, you know, English is not... My, my first language. So I, I struggled a little bit, but I had a wonderful coach that helped me. And so, yeah, it was finally released, um, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I'm very proud of it. It's my first one. There's tons of things that you can improve, I'm sure. But, but hopefully it'll be, it'll be valuable. Um, and then on, on the business side, you know, for the entrepreneur out there, you know, um, I, I moved from Spain to the U.S. and I've been able to to fulfill an American dream here, you know, um, the company was valued $820 million when it was sold to Toma Bravo uh, last year. And uh, we started with Zip, right? We bootstrapped the business. So it can be done um, if you find the product market fit. And um, I think if you end up focusing on the user, which is also something that we did over the years. Um, and uh, yeah, just just super thankful to have had the opportunity, the, the help that I've had along the way from investors, from the customers, from our employees. Um, it's just been a wonderful journey. Amazing. Awesome. Well, I, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for you. I wish you much more success uh, in your career. Can't wait to listen to the book, The Digital Experience Company. Alfonso, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. 
absolutely a pleasure for me as well. And uh, thank you for inviting me. And uh, uh, yeah, good luck with the podcast. Thank you. All right. Take care. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for being here. If there's a challenge that you're dealing with in your tech startup that you'd like me to cover, or if you're an executive of a successful SaaS company and you'd like to be a guest on my show, or if you'd like to hear more about what I offer in the Chaos to Clarity Accelerator or my executive coaching program, reach out and connect with me at eric at fullcycleproduct.com. Thank you and I'll see you next week.